0: Let us pray together. God of grace and truth, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. We ask especially for your Holy Spirit to come and to lead us more fully into your truth. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. This past Tuesday, I was walking home at lunch, and uh, I had just passed, I was going down Orange Street, and I just crossed over Franklin, when suddenly behind me I heard the screeching of wheels and then a sudden terrific crash. I twirled around and I saw one totaled car careening off of another and coming to a stop on Orange Street. I ran to the crash and um, helped one of the drivers out of her car. She was Her chest was covered with um, burns from her deployed airbag. She was shaking and crying and in uh, complete shock. Someone in the midst of all that hubbub called 911, and uh, very soon a policeman came rolling up in his cruiser. And that's when both drivers immediately looked at the other and accused the other of going through a red light. After that, the... Officer, turned to me. (laughs) What did you see? And um, I told him that my back was turned. And later, Danette told me, that saved you three days. (laughs) But it was the truth. It was the truth. And uh, after that, I realized that that very calm officer, I was incredibly impressed with him that his main job now was going to be to piece together that whole experience and to figure out the truth about what had actually taken place. Our focus today is on truth. And in particular, God's truth taught and embodied in Jesus, which sets us free To live lives that are whole and holy. We also want to focus on the crucial importance of truthfulness. Especially in a time when due to fake news and due to alternative facts, there seems so very little truthfulness around. Amen? Recently, the Oxford Dictionary chose post-truth, post-truth as their new word for 2016, post-truth. We live in times, they said, when objective facts are clearly becoming less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal beliefs. And so we just have to ask, is it no longer possible to determine who actually went through that red light? Or does it all now come to what each person thinks and feels? Now, we live in a political system where we're quite used to our presidents spinning and finessing the truth. Amen? I didn't get one there. How about Nixon with Watergate? How about Clinton with his affairs? How about Bush too, with Iraq's weapons of mass destruction? How about well we're going to see if we get an amen now. How about Obama, famously promising to change our lawless approach to terrorism, but then ending up greatly increasing? Drone-killing instead. But has any other recent president had a more adversarial relationship with the truth than the one currently in the White House, at least in our lifetime? There's a website that fact-checks, and it's been doing this for a long time, presidential statements. And lately, it's been finding, almost on a daily basis, statements from our president that are either half-true, completely untrue, or what it calls liar, liar, pants on fire untrue. You can go to it. It's politifacts.com. And many of us today are now worrying about what will be the long-term impact of this daily disregard for the truth on our already strained social fabric. We're just three weeks in. What's the impact going to be months and years from now? Let's turn our attention to Deuteronomy 30, where we find Moses actually concerned about some similar questions. Just to give you a little background, we're joining the children of Israel out in the wilderness just before their entry into the promised land. God has heard their cry to to be liberated from their house of slavery in Egypt, and then up on Mount Sinai... God has given Moses the Ten Commandments, not the Ten Suggestions, the Ten Commandments for how to live now as free and liberated people. They don't know how. In particular, they are meant to model, God wants them to model for the world the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of their God. And so, one of the commandments, quite naturally, is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. A healthy, thriving community cannot thrive, cannot be a contrast community to the world if there is lying and double-dealing and trickery in all of our relationships. And then today, we hear Moses telling his people that not following God's blueprint here will lead to perishing. And I believe by perishing here, he means that it will lead to a community filled with fear and anger and hate and mistrust. But following God's blueprint will lead to a community where there is life and trust and shalom. So come on, he says. Choose life. Choose life. Just before our gospel reading in Matthew 5, in verse 1, if you want to turn to it, Jesus also very symbolically goes up a mountain. Did you notice that? Just like Moses. Moses did 1,500 years before him. Last week, we heard Jesus say that he hadn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in our passage today, it's among six of Jesus' clarifications in his Sermon on the Mount about God's law. Six times he says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. And each of his six clarifications challenges us to move from the law's surface requirements to God's deeper intention in them. Look, for example, at his clarification in verse 21 of chapter 5. He moves us from not killing our enemies, which is a great thing, by the way. It's a good start, and imagine our world if people didn't kill their enemies. But he moves us from that to actually praying for them and blessing them. In a similar way elsewhere, Jesus moves us from the commandment not to steal. That's a great thing. But there's a world of difference between just not stealing and being generous. Okay? And in his clarification today, beginning in verse 33, he moves us from not swearing falsely to not swearing at all. But... Being known as people for whom our yes is a yes. And when Todd says no, it's a no. A people who are straightforward and trustworthy. Now, one thing that's important to notice in the Bible is that whenever they say, they talk about don't do something, we can pretty much count on the folks in the Bible are doing it. All right? All right. So why does Jesus make such a big deal today about people swearing on everything by heaven and by earth and by Jerusalem and by their own heads? I've never done that, sworn by my own head. Well, the reason is because apparently there's a whole lot of this swearing going on. In uh, Matthew 23, Jesus also mentions people swearing by other things. The temple's gold. The sanctuary, the altar, and the altar's gifts. Now, what we need to remember here is that Old Testament law actually only condemns false oaths, all right? It only condemns promising in the name of God to do something and then not doing it. It's okay to swear to do something and then to do it. But today, Jesus wants to show us God's deeper intention here. Verse 34, But I say to you, do not swear at all. Instead, let your word be yes, yes. Or, no, no. Or as we read in James 5, let your yes simply be a yes, and your no be a no. Now, Jesus' deeper teaching here isn't that we're not just supposed to be people who don't swear on Bibles in court. but also that we are to be known as people who are truthful and transparent and trustworthy. Jesus wants us to resemble the God whom we love and serve, who is utterly trustworthy, reliable, and faithful. Like parent, like child. Like parent, like us. And as Samantha reminded us last week, the big Samantha, the older one, (laughs) there's such, in our times, there's such a powerful contrast, witness, here to the world around us. She says it doesn't take much moving in the opposite direction, in the Sermon on the Mount direction, for folks to notice in us a big difference. I think here of Danette's grandparents in Johnstown, PA, the uh, same community where Hannah, I just saw you, Hannah Spiegel grew up. Danette's grandparents, David and Edith Allwine, they gave so generously from his preacher's salary that one day the IRS came knocking on their door with an audit. They thought for sure this couple was lying on their return. But when he discovered instead their truthfulness... And their generosity. What a beautiful witness it was to that agent. And actually to our whole family. Whenever the All-Wines get together, we still often tell that story. And we're reminded to live into that kind of truthfulness and generosity ourselves. In John 8.32, Jesus says that the truth will set us free. And the Greek word for truth here is very interesting. It's aletheia. And it actually means disclosure or unconcealment. Unconcealment and was sometimes used to describe the unveiling of a statue. Imagine Michelangelo's David, suddenly the cloth being taken off. This would be truth. Of course, as Christians, we don't believe that truth is a statue. We believe that God's truth is unveiled for us and most fully embodied in Jesus. Jesus is truth walking and talking and loving us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And reveals, discloses, unconceals for us who God is and how we are to live. But as human beings... We often desire to know the truth much, much less than we pretend. Just look at our elections. How far would a candidate go if he or she really spoke the truth candidly? And long ago, God's truth embodied in Jesus was especially threatening to those in the religious establishment. Today it would be to pastors. And to those in the occupying empire. In the end, the truth came among us and was rejected and abandoned and executed. But for others... The truth embodied in Jesus was beautiful, winsome, attractive. You know, truth alone by itself can feel so brutal, so harsh, so difficult to receive. It can even lead to despair. But in Jesus, the truth always came enfolded in grace. And because of that, people were able to joyfully receive it and welcome it and let it set them free. Last Tuesday evening, I got together with uh, a group of chestnut men and uh, picked their brains a little bit about today's focus on truth. And to get us started, I shared a rather provocative quote that I had come across, and it went like this, in the church, avoiding honest talk is often one of the fees we pay for entry. In the church, avoiding honest talk is one of the fees we pay for entry. And I asked our group of men, how true is that here at East Chestnut? It was very interesting. We had a great conversation. And one of the first uh, responses to me was, where at East Chestnut? In other words, uh, one person asked, is it really a virtue for us always to be completely truthful in every situation at East Chestnut? from our sharing time in worship to our Sunday school classes? Or, is East Chestnut a church where each of us has found places? Maybe a small group, a book club, a spiritual friendship, a mentoring relationship, maybe square one, or a Sunday school class where we are able to be fully honest and fully ourselves. The group said, if you rephrase the question that way, we all say yes. That's what East Chestnut is for us. We also talked about truth as something that God doesn't just hand to us all at once, fully formed, but something that God wants us each to be attending to in our lives, discovering together and nurturing in one another and in our relationships. Our ability to see the truth and even to want it is so partial And we need each other's help and support to overcome our blindness and our self-deception. Interestingly, they said the times they most have most valued at East Chestnut have been those times when we've been really truthful with one another. For example, when a group of us married men... Met with Jonathan Stanley to share about what we'd experienced in our marriages over the decades. And Jonathan, I was trying to remember did we meet with you before you got married or after? (laughs) Right after, that's not fair. (laughs) Maybe we knew that's what was needed. No, it was a really, I learned tons. It was uh, a grace filled conversation. We remembered when Sheldon vulnerably shared with us in a multi-voice sermon, remember that, about his struggle with depression and anxiety. We remembered when we opened our hearts to each other about sexuality in our Sunday school classes two Octobers ago. Others of you have told me how you have appreciated the truthfulness of our blessing people who are choosing to leave us instead of rather letting them disappear as often happens in congregations? What experiences would you share? And where might our congregation grow in being more truthful yet, with love and with grace. I mentioned earlier an expression we all learned in the uh, schoolyard, liar, liar, pants on fire. The great thing about sermons is you can go to Google and find out what, what, what what's that about? Where does that come from? And... Uh, Apparently, there was once a boy who stole one of his dad's cigars, went to the tool shed and started smoking it, heard his dad coming, stuck the cigar in his back pants pocket. This might be apocryphal, but I think it's a good story. And the rest, of course, is history. (sighs) Yeah, was it true? And did he survive? I was gonna say he had to turn the other cheek. Sorry. You know, um, it's actually been quite humbling Preparing uh, a sermon all week on truth-telling. And uh, just this morning, in my text yesterday, I was going to say, all week I experienced this and that, but no liar, liar, pants on fire moments in my own life. But then this morning, the Holy Spirit drew my attention to one. And I now want to set it right. But more often, what I really did notice is my habit of spinning the truth. You ever do that? Rearranging details just to make yourself look a wee bit better than you actually looked. I also noticed my habit sometimes saying yes when I really should have said no. Ever done that? And sometimes saying no when the Holy Spirit was telling me to say yes. So, this coming week, I'm turning the tables. And I'm inviting you to live and to notice your own relationship with the truth. Just notice. And let me give you three very brief ways. First, just prayerfully invite the Holy Spirit to guide you more fully into the truth about yourself, about others, and about God. And we'll be focusing on the key role of prayer next Sunday. Second, pay attention to the mistakes you make, and be prepared to apologize or to speak honestly with the folks that that has affected. Not three years later, but perhaps that same day. Finally, slow down your decision-making process And ask yourself if you can really keep your word when you say yes or when you say no. With God's help, may we be a community that is actively attending to the truth. And where there is always enough grace in our relationships for that kind of scary truthfulness actually to be possible. Amen.